It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. Have you had a strange event or perhaps a comment or question for one of the hosts? We could be contacted AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. This week's episode, TWA Flight 800. This one's a doozy. I know I say that a lot, but this one really is a doozy. Mm, this shit cray. It is. It's, it's cray. I think this one I, is one of the few cases that we do that would deserve the double cray treatment. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things to me that struck me about this case was really how many people witnessed it, first and foremost, and how many people were, are also still to this day willing to uh, talk about their, their experience, what they saw, you know, and, and they're very matter of fact about what they saw, most of them, you know. And um, it, there's there's so many levels to this case. Uh, that's that's one of the more intriguing parts of it, I think, is that the levels to this shit. You know, it's right. But yeah, let's yeah. That, that's, well, before we before we get started, let's introduce our new agent, yes. Agent Ether, hailing from a top secret laboratory somewhere in Northern California, a physicist, an expert we can consult with whenever we say, "Boy, I wish I had an expert to consult with." Thanks for having me, guys. Hell yeah. All right. And normally I like to do a mind boggle around this time when I'm not feeling particularly lazy, which I usually am. But this week I did see a few really crazy items in the news. I just kind of want to mention them in passing before we get started with the episode topic. So first of all, on from Snopes, a 1997 Archie comic predicted remote schooling in 2021. Yes, the comic was that specific. It said in 2021 there will be Remote schooling is kind of crazy. Crazy prediction, right? Like wow. one of those Simpsons type deals. I hadn't heard know? about this. Yeah, it's. I'll send you the link later if I remember it. I heard about it because he uh, sent me a text. Mm. Yeah, I, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, The second one is apparently, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, the largest volcano on the planet, Mount Loa on the Big Island of Hawaii, could maybe possibly erupt soon. Maybe, maybe not, you know, kind yeah. of. So, well, you know, uh, be safe out there, I guess. I don't know, man. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, pay pay attention to uh, seismic data and stuff, I suppose, at the very least. I mean, yeah. if that thing does go critical, or I, I don't know what the terms are for it, but, you know, if that thing does erupt in a, you know, in a manner. Terrifying? That, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if there's any kind of power to what that thing can do, you know, uh, well, I mean, obviously there is, but there's a lot of people that live right around that area. So, I mean. Be a lot of lives at risk right there. It's no kidding. I uh, I have a friend with family on the Big Island, so I'll have to oh, really? give her a heads yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Th- I'm sure they're aware of it. If if it's true, I don't. Yeah, you never know. You can't believe everything you see on the internet. Yeah, but that's something that's definitely worthwhile paying attention to. You know, I mean, th- yeah. there's there's been you know there's been other. What what, uh, what was the last island that uh that erupted? It was about what was it? Was it like about five or five or six years ago? Something now. I think there's an island that's actually continuously erupting. Is you it? know, one of those slow Is that in the rim kind of fire, deals. though? Oh. Or is it in... Well, it's right yes. in, it's in, the, in the middle, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the ring of fire is all the different uh, borders of the, the... Like North America, South America, 
West Asia, uh, Asia, I mean, East Asia, right? You know, I better not do that. We're going to get canceled. <laughs> yeah, copyright. We'll get sued. Yeah, okay. copyright tag. It took me a minute to figure out what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, me too. At first, I was like, what the hell? What's happening right now? Is this he- have you gone? Have you gone mad? I thought at first, I was like, shouldn't he yell edit? Yeah, edit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I fell into the burn. Oh, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. That's yeah. what I thought. I thought it was going to yell edit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the third and final item in my news itinerary is a Pennsylvania woman allegedly created deep fakes to troll girls on a cheerleading squ- squad that her daughter had been on hmm. for some reason. I saw that. I'm not sure why, but is, the deep fakes. Yeah, go ahead. Is that is that like. Are those programs like that readily available now? Like I, I'm, I, I'm familiar I with what you're what you're talking about, but like I, I, I thought it took some work to do that, but uh, maybe it's the mom is just really talented. I don't know. That's quite talented possible. and pissed off. Apparently, motivated, yeah. definitely motivated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talk about heli- helicopter parenting there. <laughs> well, they they supposedly showed the girls uh, naked and drinking or and oh. or smoking. Uh, I mean, just, that's pretty crazy. Think about, I don't know, were they in high school or middle school or whatever, but I think they were in high school. Imagine you're a young person and somebody makes a deep fake of you, but that could potentially be kind of humiliating. It's, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could be. I mean, one one of the more unfortunate parts of like a, you know, the social life of a younger kid nowadays is like, there's so much that is captured and and forever, you know, archived on the internet, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. social media, wherever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, we didn't have to deal with that growing up and thank God for it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's another level of pressure right there as far as uh, social pressures go, you know, I don't know where I'd be now if my idiocy was of youth was immortalized on the internet. Oh, I'm sure (laughs) there's plenty of stupid shit that I've said and done that that I I hope to God nobody ever finds out about, (laughs) you know, plenty. (laughs) But, you know, it's thank God for uh, that not being around back then, I guess. But I was, this is the first, I, I don't know if it was the first case ever, probably not, but it's the first case that I've seen where somebody actually used a, a deep fake for like covert actions, you know, trying to actually achieve some kind of goal mm-hmm. with a fake video. So I thought that was pretty remarkable because of that. Uh, obviously, it didn't work because this lady is now facing charges, but <laughs> it's still, it, man, we live in crazy times, right? Yeah, no, I, I think she probably should get in some trouble. You know, that's that's a kind of messed up, man. Well, <laughs> yeah. at the at the very least, you know, now all of her friends and neighbors know what she's been up to. So maybe that's also a punishment in of itself. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And targeting kids, man. Like, if you're going to target other adults, that's fine. But targeting, you know, kids that are less able to deal with such attacks, I think, is just really kind of low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's more likely to do you know, mental damage, I guess you could say to a kid, as opposed to an adult, an, an adult's going to be more armored towards that type of thing, you know? Yeah. Sure. They may not react to it right or whatever positively, but you know, a, a kid's going to be truly hurt by something like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, also, I just feel like, uh, before we get started on the show, I just feel like I kind of have to brag because, um, I'm enjoying some conspiracy juice right now by the name of Pliny the Elder. Oh, hot damn. And I, I <laughs> I just just wanted to rub that in a little bit for all of you, um, you know, Pliny deficient bastards out there. Oh man, that's a lot of us too. I, I ain't got no Pliny. <laughs> My mouth waters at the potential, though. I'd like to mention that I also have Pliny. <laughs> it's true. I got, I got some conspiracy juice, but mine's uh, ninety-two proof. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah. So what happened was I had to return a library book that I've had out for, I don't know, a year and a half now. And uh, it turns out that um, Russian River Brewery is literally right across the street from the library. So I figured, hey, I might as well pop in and grab some, right? Hell yeah. I mean, how could you not? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, anyways, enough shenanigans. Let's get on to the show. Uh, this one is is kind of tough to even organize how you want to present the information, right? Yeah. But I'll I'll start by just saying some of the basic, basic events, and then we can just kind of go from there and talk about, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So what we're talking about, the TWA Flight 800, it blew up on July 17th, 1996 at about 8.31 in the evening Eastern time. It took off. And about 12 minutes after takeoff, it exploded and crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. We're talking about a Boeing 747. And while we're on the topic, um, I'd like to, I guess, preface this episode by saying that this is a, you know, still kind of recent events. And there's definitely some people out there still who lost loved ones on the airplane. And even though we goof around a lot on this show, I have the utmost respect for the people, the victims, and their families. Yeah. And my, my thoughts go out to them. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you are personally affected by it, um, we're, we're with you in spirit and anything we say on the show, I definitely do not mean in any sort of offensive way. And I'm sorry for your guys' loss. Yeah. This, this event is a very serious event that there was 200, 230 people that lost their lives, you know, during this accident or whatever you want to call the event. And that, that's a damn tragedy. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's a, I'm not quite sure why the event took place, but obviously it did, you know, and the circumstances surrounding it are, are very, I mean, they're very questionable, you know, that there's, the the story doesn't necessarily line up in, in many different ways, but the evidence is, is, you know, there's a lot of evidence, uh, uh, quite a few, and which, you know, we're going to go through shortly here. Yeah. And, oh boy, will we? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's. It's a it's a, a a web of uh, deception, I think, potentially, you know, on on some fronts, and uh, the way they, like the invest. Or I, I guess we should just get into it, right? So, so you yeah. you already talked about it. It happened on July seventeenth, nineteen ninety six, and um, later later on in the evening, there was two hundred thirty people involved in the crash. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I was yeah, I was just gonna mention. Um, you mentioned that it was two the number of people, but. I just also wanted to throw out there, it was the third deadliest aviation accident in the United States history. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to mention some of the major people we're going to be talking about that investigated it. It was the NTSB, which is the National Transportation Safety Board. Those are the guys that, in general, will investigate every airplane crash. And yeah. if you're not familiar with who they are, these people are miracle workers. It's unbelievable what they are able to, like, a 747 will crash and these things crash going almost the speed of sound sometimes. There'll be little tiny bits everywhere on the ground. They'll take these bits, put them together, and figure out which specific component caused yeah. the airplane to fail. And if I dare you to go look at a diagram of a 747 to see just how ridiculous these things are. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can figure out how airplanes crashed from little tiny scrap bits of metal. It's, it's really really quite an achievement. Yeah. It's like, it's like a modern well, miracle of, and a science lot of times, or something. A lot of times the reason why these uh, individuals, individuals are picked out for like this investigator role um, is because they, they stand above their, you know, their, their coworkers as far as their, their ability. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so a lot of these guys, they're so damn experienced and they have a long, long history with aviation 
um, they know what the heck they're talking about when it comes to especially this type of a situation. Um, when, when you have the evidence uh, that they had in front of them, to them it was so very obvious. And then they kept on hit, getting getting like hit with like stone walls from you know the FBI and other organiz- organizations. Uh, and it's a uh, it's almost kind of like saddening to hear some of their testimony, you know. And and we'll get into that. But like uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, th- these guys are are. You know they they have a strong conviction conviction about what they're talking about. You know and and they believe full heartedly. You know in their opinion. You know and and their yeah. their opinion is backed up by quite a bit of experience and and uh, you know knowledge. Well, they're they're the best of the best of the best. You know they they ain't that's they ain't why, no slouches. Yeah, that's why that's why I'm yeah that's why I'm saying that's why they're in the position that they're in. Yeah. Uh, I I was I was really impressed by their their resumes. And the fact that there's so many investigators who are coming together and questioning the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyways, the NTSB, they investigated, but strangely enough, the FBI also investigated and the New York police department joint terrorism task force. They were involved for a little bit as well, Mm -hmm. but most importantly to note is the FBI, because that is highly unusual for them to get involved, and the CIA. Yeah. The CIA investigating an airplane crash, a passenger airplane crash, is pretty much unheard of. Yeah, I, video, I don't know of any other case where that's happened. The video that they released was uh, a bit ridiculous. Like, oh, we'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, to me, like, um, you know, and, and we're going to get into it, but like like the way that the, like, the direction that the investigation took especially like when when described to the public it just it focused so hard on like proving that it wasn't a missile that like it's just like well well what was it then damn it like you know like obviously obviously that you know the 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 end you know um explanation was was that it was it was caused by a a fuel tank explosion right yeah they so what they concluded was we'll skip ahead to their their conclusion the ntsb did a four-year investigation. It was the most extensive and expensive ever undertaken. At that time. They took yeah. all the bits of the plane and they put it all together on a frame and put it in a hangar that they actually used as sort of like a teaching tool until very recently. But so this, they took all these little bits and put them back together. Uh-huh. Four-year investigation. And their conclusion was that an internal explosion of the central fuel tank caused by a short in the wire in the fuel tank is what caused the airplane to go down. So mm-hmm. the fuel exploded and that made the airplane crash. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can talk a little bit about that right now. So oh, what we're talking dude, about, I, I think is, we should, I think we should absolutely talk about, well, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to interject here, but like the, one of the things that like really stuck out about uh, some of the, like, you know, a lot of the research that I was doing, especially that, uh, uh, what was that one documentary? I know it's very, you know, it's, it's Obviously biased in a certain way, but uh, that that one documentary flight uh, TWA flight eight hundred, I think I, I think that's the name of it. I think, yeah. But uh, Hank Hughes, the se- the senior accident investigator for uh, NTSB, mm-hmm. um, yeah. What he was talking about, man, like, all right, so they had they had all the de- debris like in this hangar, and they had like you know stationed in a way where um, it was all tagged, you know, according to what like field it was found in in the ocean, you know. Um, which is very important because, you know, uh, according to, uh, you know, how the plane, you know, came to its demise, I guess you could say, um, where it ended up, you know, falling into the ocean would be very important, you know, to, uh, you know, piece together the story afterwards. But uh, there was a lot of shenanigans, supposedly, in that hangar where, um, 
you know, they noticed like tags were being changed, like, you know, identifying tags to, you know, on, on certain pieces and stuff to identify where it was found. And, uh, that, that's, a uh, I don't know. That's, that's quite concerning. You know what I mean? I mean, if it, yeah. Well, the um, the importance of that is the official narrative is that it was an internal fuel tank explosion. So, in other words, a wire short caused an arc of electricity to to ignite the fuel. Now, the the problem with this theory is that um, in order to do that to ignite the fuel, so uh, jet fuel is not like regular car gasoline fuel. It's a lot mm-hmm. thicker. It's like kerosene or something. Yeah. And it doesn't ignite as easily as car fuel does. So in order to ignite that, you'd need something like 1,200 volts, like a lot of freaking volts. Mm-hmm. And the only place on the airplane that you get 1,200 volts is actually on the igniters and the jet engines. And the uh-huh. way those igniters work is they get the engine started, but once the engine started, it continues going. The flame keeps going without needing constant ignition. So... The the entire system on the airplane or in the in the tank is very low voltage, and there's nothing on the airplane that could actually put 1,200 volts into this thing to actually get it to ignite. Yeah. So the idea that uh, right away we can tell that this this idea that the central tank ignited somehow is somewhat implausible. It just it doesn't happen very often. There has been other tank ignitions, but for example, another one there was a lightning strike that caused the tank to ignite. So Mm -hmm. that required an external force. It was not a a system on the plane that provided the electricity. Yes. It was something else because the electricity to actually ignite the fuel does not exist on the airplane. I think external, external force is a very key phrase here because yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because it, it appears that that very well may have been what caused this explosion, especially if you listen to uh, any of the testimony from people on the ground that, that witnessed this, you know, as it happened, they all, I mean, the majority of these people all describe something shooting up from either, you know, beyond their, you know, like a tree line or like, you know, beyond their vision um, or from the ocean. Uh, Some people even described, you know, seeing some kind of a firework or even like they blatantly just say it was a missile that shot up from the ocean or somewhere off, off, off to the, uh, you know, in the, in the, di- in the distance. And, um, they all say that, and the, one of the things that strikes me so very much about this case is like, like their testimonies are all so very close. I mean, they're so very similar, all the testimonies that they all describe a, a very similar thing. You know, um, they, they see something shooting up from ground level, whether it be off the horizon or, or, you know, in the ocean, wherever, you know, it depends on their perspective, of course. But uh, they see, you know, something shoot up and it, it goes up towards a plane and they see a giant explosion, you know. Uh, it's, it's, they're very. Multiple independent witnesses is very important for any yeah. case, really. And even yeah. though the descriptions were slightly different, like some described it as a flare, some people described it as a firework. I yeah. think the idea is the same as that something's coming up from the horizon and traveling towards the plane, which they're seeing moving separately. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, that, that coincidence there, that, that, you know, that, that, you know, line of testimony where it's all very similar. You can't just like step over that. You know what I mean? That, that means something, you know, that that's, that's important right there because those people are, are, none of them are really coerced. And so some of them actually described that, you know, when they were like investigated, like when they were questioned by like the, uh, the FBI or any other investigators, they're actually told not to talk about it. You know, uh, 
So some of them were, were even threatened with like their jobs and stuff. Or like, you know, I remember uh, hearing the testimony in that one documentary of that, that lady, that older lady that was uh, trying to get her uh, U.S. citizenship, I think. And they, they threatened her with not, not letting that happen, you know? So let's let's go back to the tags real quick. We we're talking about that, uh, and then we got off on a oh, <laughs> little yeah. bit of a tangent. Yeah, but so yeah, the the importance of the tags is that the investigation had um, they divided it into basically three zones. There was a red zone, a yellow zone, and a green zone. The red zone was closest to the airplane, and those would be, I mean, the airport, and those would be the pieces that fell off of the airplane first. The yellow zone would be the pieces that fell off in the middle of the event, and then the green zone is where the final pieces came to rest. Now, the the official explanation should be, like, the red zone should only contain pieces from the central wing fuel tank, because if other pieces are there, like, let's say if you found part of the tail in the red zone, that means the tail fell first, and that wouldn't make any sense, right? Yeah. So they, they were changing tags to change where they found the piece of, of debris. And we'll, we'll get into it maybe later, but the most important is debris from the left wing. If left wing debris was found in the red zone or the first parts to fall, then that completely debunks the idea that it could have been a central fuel tank failure. They need the central fuel tank pieces to be in the red zone or the first zone in order for their explanation to make sense, mm-hmm. the official explanation. And that's why they were changing the tags is to kind of make the evidence fit their narrative. Those same kind of tactics seem to be like prevalent throughout their whole investigation. Yeah. Right. Well, and speaking of sort of fixing the evidence, they also caught the, the NTSB investigator caught red handed, caught somebody from the FBI just hammering out sheet metal. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> why, what, why would you do that? <laughs> hey, man. It doesn't make <laughs> like that's pretty much as obvious as it gets. Like this case, this case is pretty much as slam dunk as it gets for, you know, Tom evidence Fulery of and, and straight yeah. out shenanigans. In fact, I don't think we've done any other case with as good of evidence as this, except for maybe Kurt Cobain with some of that stuff. But mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty slam dunk with this one. Yeah, and I really feel like, let's say there wasn't a missile, they're still covering something up. Something is going on that really wasn't being reported on honestly through the media. Mm-hmm. Like, it's obvious that 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 it's not adding up. Absolutely. Hell yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, and also, like, our, so you remember, um, I remember hearing about the, uh, there's a part of that, we- that, that left wing that had like a um, like a splatter effect on it of like a mm. melted melted like molten metal of some sort, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, all right. So, Agent Ether, you're the expert here. I I, I would like to draw upon your infinite wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> okay. So wait, the the left wing was shattered. The central fuel tank had had the splatter deposits. Oh, on was it? it? Okay, but those yeah. spl- those splatter uh, effects are you know they're pretty damn important. I mean that that wouldn't happen if uh, the fuel tank had succumbed to some kind of you know, um, static charge and exploded or something like that. You know what I mean? Well, did, isn't that the, isn't that the splatter pattern? Didn't they, is that what they sent to NASA for testing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They sent it offsite when, when they actually had, uh, machines on site that could analyze that, that, that piece, you know, right there, right then and there. Right. Right. Yeah. They had, um, portable explosive detectors, which are perfectly capable of detecting, residual vapors and that sort of thing. You can go and just wipe a surface down uh-huh. and then run it through the machine. Just someone who's trained on the machine 
and get your results in real time very quickly. So why would you send it to NASA for testing? Why indeed? It's a good damn question. I mean, you know, if uh, the conspiratorial side of my brain would just say like, well, I mean, hey, it looks like they're trying to hide something, right? They're they're covering up something. Nah. (laughs) I'm just saying is all. (laughs) But, you know. (laughs) But no, it's just like, yeah, no, it's very suspect, right? Right. Well, they even, they got positive hits, right? With the, what is it? The EGIS? The yeah. Aegis, yeah. The Aegis. They got uh, positive hits for explosives. And yeah. then they said it was a false positive, which, so here's the thing. If you detect something with that kind of machine, you can't just say, yes, the, it was a missile. You have to look at the investigation as a whole, mm-hmm. but you can't just rule it out either. And getting a false positive is so unlikely and getting repeated false positives uh, really what would happen is you would have to have cross-contamination. You would already have to have explosives in the area that it's somehow gotten into the detector in order to have false positives. And I think yeah. they had two. I remember seeing pictures, well, and I think they had more than one. Wouldn't that also be a damn good reason not to take it off site? Right. 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 You're going to contaminate it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, so they basically try to debunk the residues found as saying that it was a false positive. But even the they interviewed in this documentary, they explain away, they debunk the explosives residue by basically saying, well, the, a couple of ways. But first they say that it was false positives, um, which they actually, they interviewed a couple of guys on this documentary. Mm-hmm. And even the guy who invented the machine that's testing this stuff yep. says, no, false positives don't really happen. That's well, not really possible. And, and you know what? To me, it was also very funny. Like the look on his face when they asked him that question, he, he was just like, no, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you understand yeah. how seemed, this works? He seemed, like, uh, he seemed amused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was kind of funny to me. The other way they tried to debunk it is they said that, um, first they said that in, in 91, I think it was, they were transporting troops to the Gulf war. And I guess now or not now, but I guess then, the troops would, I guess their clothing and shoes and whatever were made out of explosives and somehow that transferred to the plane and that caused the residue mm-hmm. many, like five years later. Well, and, but, uh, uh, didn't they also say that like, all right, so, so before the, the plane had, had been boarded, there was a exercise that happened with the anti-terrorist team where they they had like placed some residue of a bomb explosives, uh, cause they had canines on scene that were like, they, they were just doing like a, uh, you know, um, you know, a, a you know, uh, enacted, uh, you know, uh, what, what the hell I'm, I'm drawing a, a brain fart on this damn shit right now, but they're just, they're just, uh, you know, um, going through the motions, you know, it, it, they were practicing, you know? But, yeah. It was uh, an exercise drill with, exercise with drill, dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to detect it. explosives. I brain farted pretty hard right there. And I apologize yeah. to listeners, but I hope you don't, uh, edit it out. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Well, we'll, uh, I'll keep it in and we just, we'll here, make fun of, make fun of ETA. Yes. Please. Agent ETA, that was the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I know. No, I like to be the whip post. Please, please. You suck. You suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you're just talking about a, a dog. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. That's enough. That's okay. right. So, well, they, right, so, yeah. so they said, they said that they were, they were having a, an exercise where they had placed some residue for the dogs to find. And basically that residue hadn't been removed after the, after the exercise. But the problem is the exercise started at 1145, supposedly, according to the documents that they provided to Congress. Um, and then the, the plane had already been boarded by 1230. 
So according to, uh, you know, procedures uh, for that airline, you know, the, the, the crew would have aborted and started preparing for the passengers at least one hour before 1230. So which means that they would have been on the, uh, the aircraft uh, before that the exercise had even taken place or started. Right. So the exercise in their and their report, they actually state that the aircraft was empty. The aircraft that they were performing that exercise on, which wouldn't support, uh, you know, just common logic. You know, there should have been at least some crew on that plane preparing for the boarding of passengers, you know? You know, when I heard that, it just felt to me like they were trying really, really hard. They were reaching, right? Was there residue or was there not? Because they were saying there wasn't and it was a false positive. And then I was watching them testify before Congress on C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, then they were saying just the opposite that yes, there was residue, and this was why. So was it a false positive or was there residue? Why? Why yeah. are well, they and, saying? And they also asked him like very bluntly, is there any right. evidence for like you know your your uh, theory of the the fuel tank exploding? And they said no. Yeah, at the end of a four year investigation, it was almost like they were saying, well, yep, the plane blew up. <laughs> we don't know why. But it wasn't missile. Damn it! I tell you one thing, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a missile, you yeah. fucks. <laughs> we we don't know for sure yeah yeah and furthermore just to talk a little bit more about this dog thing the report where they know where they did the dog exercise they didn't even write down what plane they did the exercise on so it could have been literally any airplane it, it's yeah. the whole thing is just completely made up like they just said yeah all right it was on this airplane but there's no evidence saying that it was on flight 800 zero yeah not, well, in the time you need the timetable doesn't that. line up either you know yeah, the whole thing is just absurd. Yeah. All right. Where where do we want to go next on this one? So we were talking about the explosives. We mentioned the splatter pattern on top of the fuel tank, and they were able to tell through the evidence that that splatter pattern happened before the fuel tank ruptured, and that would only be possible if there was an external explosion, mm-hmm. not an internal explosion from the fuel tank itself. Yeah, because and the, the, the splatter pattern was consistent across like the, the breakpoints of the material. So that would that would be the reason why um it happened, you know, uh before the, the, the craft broke broke up, basically, right? Or that piece broke up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they actually tested that splatter pattern and it tested positive for explosives, but that's pretty Explosive much residue. Where, yeah. It so the splatter pattern was probably explosive residue. In order to find out more, they would have had to do more extensive testing, but they declined to do so because, uh, I don't know, they just... Because that was just the way it went. The whole investigation was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pretty much. Like when, uh, who was uh, the guy that was the expert for the FBI, uh, Bob Heckman? Um, That that guy, when he was asked about it in an interview, like he basically like just brain farted and like started stalling and like, like he had no real answer. He just said basically like, no, we just didn't. Yeah. Like, like we, uh, we, we just did basically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He, uh, he, 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 he refused to say anything more than that really, you know? Yeah. Which I think is, in the end that they took any plausible evidence that there might've been that there was a missile and either didn't investigate it or skewed, you know, the evidence so that they, they didn't have to deal with the fact that, that, it could have been a missile. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, to me, I mean, I, I know we're, you know, I, we're, we're getting uh, a little bit uh, towards the end here, I guess I, I am with this statement, but like, to me, it's like, all right. So in my very, in, in my opinion, I think a missile did hit this aircraft, but what I, I keep on asking myself is why, 
Like, like, was there somebody? There had to have been somebody on this aircraft that they wanted to eliminate. Somebody. They, I, they is a very broad term, obviously, the broadest. But you know, it, it's who the hell was on this craft? This this airplane that they wanted to eliminate, you know what I mean? I had not even thought of it that way. I had just, in my mind, in the basic most sense, I was thinking, was it domestic? Was it terrorist? Was it friendly fire? I hadn't even thought about the possibility of it being an assassination. Well, to to me, it was carried out in such a clandestine way. Like, like it was just, it was just somebody, somebody was eliminated, in, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Check this out. So, this airplane had actually been delayed because of, I guess, some baggage mix-up. It had been delayed uh-huh. by like an hour or two, just sitting there at the airport waiting for the mix-up to get cleared up. Uh-huh. Now, there apparently around this, like just before this airplane took off, or just after, I forget which, an Israeli airplane took off, and some people think that that was actually supposed to be the target, and then this airplane took really? off and got targeted by accident when it was supposed to be a, a completely different airport or airplane. Huh. But if you think about the amount of air traffic in this area, it could have been a mix up with any other airplane, really. Um, this, I mean, there this, was, that's, that's one of the more busier areas in, in the country. You know? Yeah. I looked up a list of the VIPs on this airplane. It's, I mean, it's readily available and I didn't see anybody who would be an obvious target. Of course, that doesn't mean that there would be, you know, targets that you wouldn't think, think was obvious, but on the other hand, it seems a little excessive to bring down an entire airplane when somebody who's a target, you could very easily poison their coffee at Starbucks or whatever it is. Like it just, uh, I don't know, bringing down an entire airplane would make more sense if there was some sort of cargo or something, but an individual is a target. I yeah. don't know. But if, if it was a terrorist attack, I don't know, perhaps by Saudi Arabia so that our government would automatically cover it up. But nobody um, ever, ever like claimed it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's another thing is nobody claimed it, yeah. But that's why people think that the Israeli airplane, who, they're close allies to us, and they're often targets for this sort of thing. So that's sort of along those lines. It's sort of a plausible idea, I think. Definitely could be, yeah. I yeah, don't know. But, it's just like there, there's uh, this, this, this case is so confusing for me, you know? Yeah. Like, because the obvious, to me, I mean, it, it's obvious that like, like the investigation was impeded because of, a cover up, you know what I mean? Like th- yeah. there was a lot of effort, a lot of effort put towards that, you know. Well, let's go into a little bit into depth for more for like the witness statements because we only touched on that briefly, okay. and I think it's very, very important to the case to you know what people actually said that they saw. Yeah. So first, it's important to point out that we have many multiple independent witnesses, both from the ground and from the air. And this this was happened around like the Long Island area on the East Coast. I've never been, but I'm sure many of our listeners are at least vaguely familiar with the New York area. So we have many many witnesses and they reported seeing and hearing explosions, um large fireball type stuff and burning debris falling onto the ground. And this is by the way one of the ways they debunk this is they, they use some sort of uh, magical time dilation sleight of hand by saying that, okay, because people are, the witnesses are saying that they heard the explosion and uh, sound travels at a certain rate, so therefore they would have heard the explosion. <clears throat> that sound traveled at a certain rate right there too. 
Yeah, yeah, that was the speed of sound. Is this normal? Is this situation normal, the burping? Yes, yes, it is. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) No, so what they say is, okay, they heard the explosion, and that's what caught their attention and made them look up. And therefore, by the time they looked up, the the incident had already happened, so they were seeing stuff. But we'll get to that later maybe when we talk about the... um, the wonderful video that the CIA, the CIA put out. Oh, but yeah. anyways, back back that to the cartoon? witnesses. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk a little bit about specific witnesses here. So, for example, Vasilis Bacornis, I think his name is. Uh, he's a pilot for Olympic Airways. He was flying at about 2,000 feet, and he saw a light streaking from the water surface. This is very important to note mm-hmm. because we have many witnesses saying that they saw it come from the ground level. Yeah. He followed it up with his eyes for many seconds. That's a direct quote, many seconds. He saw it curve a little, and then he saw the explosion. After the explosion, he said he saw flame falling down like an umbrella of flames. Uh, that So he was positioned very, very well to witness what happened. Um, and, and many, many witnesses saw a streak of light. That, that's what they described. He's a, yeah. a streak of light. Fireworks, cheap fireworks, uh, flare, sort you know, sort of like an emergency flare kind of a thing, and they they say they saw that come up from the ground level, go up and then explode, and this yeah. directly contradicts the official explanation, which we might go into a little bit more detail later if we don't get too far afield. Um, and you know, my conclusion is like, if it walks like a duck and explodes like a duck getting hit by a missile, then maybe it's a fucking duck getting hit by, by a missile, right? Quite possibly. Well, there, yeah. there's a lot of those uh, those testimonies. They're also, like 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 I said before, they're very matter of fact about what they saw. They say that I saw a freaking missile come up from ground level and strike the airplane. Yeah, basically. Yeah, they just. I mean, there's. It's a pretty distinctive thing to see. You know, it's hard hard to mistake when you see something like that. So it, it took um, these witness statements. It took over two years, about two and a half years, for the NTSB to actually get. The witness statements. What happened originally is the FBI handled the investigation and they blocked the NTSB from actually interviewing witnesses. And when they did give the the witness statements, they actually weren't statements. They were just summaries of statements. They Mm. didn't didn't take it down verbatim. They just took notes on what the witness said, which maybe that's typical for the FBI. I have no idea. But for the NTSB, they're a little more precise than that. But at first, the FBI only gave them redacted summaries of witness statements to go on. And the NTSB was like, what? Come on. After about two and a half years, the NTSB got their hands on the unredacted statements. But by the end, it was kind of too late. But what they found was there was 736 witness accounts, 258 of them, 258 people saw a streak of light go up and then explode. Which is, it's important because we're not talking about like three people at a barbecue who are drunk and all know each other. Because we all know if you're you're a listener of the show, alcohol causes hallucinations. So that's another thing entirely, I guess. But (laughs) the witnesses described the streak ascending vertically. And I'm being just, you know, overly specific here because I just want to debunk what the official explanation is. They, they tried to do some, you know, weird sleight of hand with this, but they said it went up vertically from the horizon. Some people saw it traveling horizontally after going up and, you know, seen it exploding after that. They didn't see the explosion and then stuff happening, right? 
yeah, so here's a I have a quote from the NTSB about the witness statements, and they said, Witness reports are often inconsistent with the known facts or with other witnesses' reports of the same events. They Also, they did not view these apparently anomalous witness reports as persuasive evidence that some witnesses might have observed a missile. So what they're really saying there is that all of these, pretty much all of the witness reports are anomalous. Like that's, yeah. we don't want that to be the reality. So they're we just choose stepping. for it not to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I'll, I have one more witness statement that I'd like to read because I don't know, you know, I like to go directly to the source because it's just, it's just so much more powerful than talking about it, about my opinion about the source to what do these people say specifically? So here's one of them. It was what we would best describe as a boat flare, a reddish object going up. It went up, and a few seconds later, we saw an explosion in the sky. I can't say if it came offshore or onshore. At first, we thought it was a boat flare. It zigzagged a little. We thought it was strange. Then, several seconds later, we saw an eruption of fire. We never heard anything. We saw a fireball. And at that point, we identified what was an aircraft. We could see it fluttering down. We were the third boat on Long Island to report the incident to the Coast Guard. It was something going up to it beforehand. Yes, I saw flaming debris go down. Something attracted us to the area before it exploded. And even my wife and my oldest daughter, we all were witnesses to it. There definitely was something there first before the aircraft went down. And that witness is emphasizing that fact because that's how they debunked it is, well, mm-hmm. we haven't really gotten onto that in detail, but um, they, they basically said that what the witnesses saw going up was actually the airplane coming down, Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense, which it doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, so where do we want to go next on this one? There's just so much to talk about. I don't know, man. It, I mean... We could talk. We could talk about how, like, uh, you know, they, they talked about how, like, the uh, in the uh, the NTSB report in uh, two thousand, right? They they mm-hmm. said that like the, the the airplane like banked up first, and then like like plummeted down. But all the witness uh, testimony would state that like the the plane got hit by something and then fell like a damn stone, you know? Yeah, and the the radar data corroborates that. Um... If the plane had, they said it traveled up from like 13,000 feet to 17,000 feet, which is a decent enough altitude gain to where the radar would notice that. But the radar data shows that it dropped like a rock. It did not gain altitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what they're trying to say, this is the CIA video that we're talking about as well. They made a video to kind of try to debunk what witnesses were saying. They, so their basic idea is that an explosion happened, the fuel tank explodes, and somehow the nose of the airplane falls off because of that. And because the weight of the nose is no longer there, the airplane just sort of goes up. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what would happen is, so the wings of the airplane provide lift. The airplane is balanced very, very precisely. So if that lift is there and the center of gravity goes backwards on the airplane because you no longer have all that weight on the front of it, it would cause the airplane to tilt up instantly. Because remember, these are, well, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but these airplanes tend to travel really fast, pretty much close to the speed of sound. So we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of, I don't know, four to 600 miles an hour, really, really fast. 
So when you have a sudden change of direction, the forces are unimaginable. So it would tilt up instantly because the wings are still providing that lift and the center of gravity changes. It tilts up and it's suddenly forced into this stream of air going 600 miles an hour or 400 or whatever it is. Mm. And that would cause the airplane to basically rip apart right away. There's no going up 3,000 feet. It just pretty much disintegrates midair. That's what would happen on the scenario. The scenario they give, it it uses kind of like what I like to call Looney Tunes physics, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not how (laughs) things operate in the real world at all. Well, it it actually turns out we have a physicist here who might be able to speak to this better than I can. I just wanted to say that I, uh, I love the CIA video. I think everyone should look for it on YouTube for themselves. I took a class uh, in college, and it was politics and propaganda, and I was never able to look at media the same after that, specifically news outlets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this this video, it just it had me laughing like the whole time. It was just so obviously wrong. And the quality, in so many ways. The well, quality just, was kind of subpar too, right? Like it the wasn't production just, quality. And it wasn't just the physics, like Agent Anderson is describing, because. He's absolutely right in his description of what would have happened. It was just the uh, way it was done and the voiceover. Not a not missile. Not a missile. And it was, <laughs> they you know, kept, underlined they kept and bold. Po- pointing and that out, huh? They really yeah. did. And the way it was done was just so so blatant, you know, um, the way it was presented. I just, ugh, I found it amusing. And at the same time, I found it offensive, you know, for people who were looking for answers and to the general public to present it this way. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> kind of burned me up a little. It's a little, a little bit of a slap in the face, huh? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the investigation itself. One of the interesting details I came across was that the FBI was sort of the gatekeeper to the investigation. All of the debris, any information or whatever, they only shared what they wanted to share with the NTSB, and that wasn't a lot. And they also absorbed quite a bit of uh, information and, uh, you know, uh, artifacts, I guess you could say, you know. Yeah, a lot of the debris for the plane that was critical to understanding what happened just went missing. Yeah. Got sent to, you know, NASA for no reason, stuff like that, you know. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they've ever invested, NASA in the history of anything has never investigated a plane crash. It's, it's weird, man. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone at NASA owed someone at the FBI a favor. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? A special kind of favor. A special kind of favor. Oh, well, hot damn. Those are the best (laughs) kinds. (laughs) Speaking of, so you you folks may notice that Agent Kruger is mysteriously absent this time. And I talked to him earlier, and he was kind of using code words and stuff, but I got the gist of it. He basically, he got a gig working for like an eyes wide shut party as like the cleanup crew. So if you guys are wondering where he is, that's where he is. Is that a true story? Yeah, oh he, yeah. That's, yeah. He's a sinner. A hundred percent true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I know I'm supposed to be like on your guys' side, but I am a skeptic right now. You're a skeptic. I'm a well, skeptic about that statement. Well, you've never been to one of these parties, so <laughs> they're highly <laughs> secretive. Yeah. It, not just, just anybody can go, you know, you got to be part of the club, even to work there as even a cleanup Even to clean crew. up, good yeah. to know. They don't let just anybody have that job. Mm-hmm, yeah. You never know what you might observe. 
Uh, Agent Ether here has a little presentation for us. What do you got for us, Ether? So I was diving in after I watched the um, documentary on the flight, which I found really interesting even the second time around. And so I started investigating on my own, just looking for additional information, because Agent Anderson had mentioned that someone had picked up uh, parts of swatch, like from the seats, to analyze them. And so I wanted to find out more about that. And there was this whole deep throat kind of situation where there was a newspaper reporter and his source, he called him the hangar man. Oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it was really Captain Stacy who was on the investigation. And allegedly he went and got a couple of swatches of fabric and sent them over to this reporter, Jim Sanders, and his wife, Elizabeth, was actually an employee with TWA. And she said, like, the whole organization had doubts about the investigation. And her husband's this reporter. So they get together. They independently have this swatch analyzed by a lab in California that identified magnesium and calcium, which equals rocket fuel. So they thought it was positive for rocket fuel. So he contacted his friend David Hendricks over at the Press Enterprise in Riverside, which, by the way, Agent Anderson is who was interviewing a lot of your witness statements that you have are from the Press Enterprise in that's, Riverside. Yeah, That's true. And uh, the FBI ended up getting the other swatch from the other uh, newspaper and uh, taking it. And they wanted to break the story, and the FBI wouldn't tell them what they'd analyzed. But later, they claimed it was glue. So they sent, <laughs> <laughs> so they sent one swatch independently to this California lab, this reporter did. And they said it was rocket fuel. And then the FBI says it's glue. But here's the kicker. 3M says the glue they use in 747s only has trace amounts of metals, and it couldn't have been the glue. Wow. So that's just a little bit more evidence that actually wasn't in the documentary that I thought was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. Hmm. The, nice. Hell yeah, it is. Well, I mean, in 3M, they're not going to lie about something like that. That's a major company, and they don't, they don't want nothing to do with any sort of controversy. It struck me as really strange because you'd think the FBI would just say we analyzed it and didn't find anything, or they would just say it's not really fabric from the hangar. But for them to, it's just. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. You think they would just straight up lie about the whole thing. Right. And be like, we, well, this isn't really. God damn it, Agent oh, ETA. I'm so sorry. I had a sneeze fit, man. You were right that, over there? That came out of nowhere, dude. Just all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, here's what's happening. Boom. Sneeze fit. You're ruining my monologue. It's, it's my first I apologize time. profusely. Wait. <laughs> it's probably the COVID. Just it's saying. Not, yeah. It's, go, <laughs> it's not over. It's going around. Oh, you hear it? That was definitely a COVID <laughs> sneeze. Okay. <laughs> I hope there's no one there with one you Hold for on. you to infect. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. But, you know, I actually might not edit those out. Those are some pretty entertaining sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> He's still sneezing. Oh, my gosh. Are you, should we call the cops? Do you need dude. us to call 911? The paramedics. Um, okay, can we continue? He's been, he's been sniffing dust from the windowsill. Uh, uh, so close. I was so close to a sneeze there. <laughs> Way uh. too much information. <laughs> uh, dude, my bad. <laughs> Anyways, the FBI eventually went to the home of the Sanders, and they uh, handcuffed them, like quite publicly, 
you know, rolled them out in front of the media like they were criminals and uh, put them before a judge. And the judge slapped them with a misdemeanor. And the judge actually said that Mr. Sanders was a true investigational journalist. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. What, what were the charges? Uh, just misinformation. It was a misdemeanor. Oh, really? Yeah. And they, wow. it said that they illegally seized his computer. They went into his home for like a search and seizure. And they took the fabric swatches from the seats. And they took his computer. And then they arrested him and his, and his wife. Who really had nothing to do with it, if you think about it. Dang. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, after that, the media, they didn't want to touch it. You know, they were not beloved of the media. Yeah. Well, it kind of makes me nervous doing a conspiracy show. Holy crap. <laughs> you just, you mm. don't know. Might just it, get caught I mean, up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody somebody's bored, uh, you know, up at the NSA or whatever. They're like, ah. These guys have been causing trouble. Let's go get them. Well, Mr. Jim Sanders said he didn't feel he was doing anything illegal. He was just accepting something. And even though it was physical evidence, you know, he basically said there's a lot more where that came from. Maybe somebody should be analyzing that, too. Yeah. So speaking of evidence, we touched a little bit on the shattered left wing. I think we mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit more about that. So the problem with the shattered left wing of the airplane is that that would pretty much only happen. So they explained it away by saying that the fuel inside of the wing got pressurized inside of the tank, and that caused such a high level of pressure that it caused the wing to explode and shatter. But the, the problem with that, too, is at the same time, they said that the wing ripped off of the airplane and kind of fell down, which prevents it from building up pressure because the, the wing tanks take up a lot of the wing. But anyways... That's neither here nor there. What this shows, the left wing, it shows that there was an explosion near the wing, an external explosion. And most people might not know this, but a lot of missiles work. They don't actually impact the plane. They explode near the plane to do the damage. And then the shockwave and shrapnel or whatever will damage the plane. It's a lot more effective than trying to actually hit the plane because your target's a lot bigger, You know your potential target zone. So this left wing damage shows that it wasn't shattered internally, but there's fractures and stresses on the metal in the wing consistent with an external explosion, not with an internal explosion. And not to mention, I just like to point out that these airplanes are specifically designed not to explode. So the idea that the wing could somehow build up pressure and explode, it's, it's a little far-fetched. But anyways, the, left, the idea is that the left wing was shredded by an external explosion, and that would have caused the lift on the left wing to not happen anymore, and it would have caused the, the plane to sort of, you know, list and glide to that side, which is what witnesses actually reported. The, the plane tilted in its flight and started going down because it lost it essentially lost its left wing from the explosion. And that would have also caused the fuel to come out of that wing. And witnesses also reported the fuel coming out of that wing. They, some witnesses said they saw like a hazy plume when, after that explosion. And that would, that's exactly what would happen under these cases. Well, it, it and, wasn't just, it wasn't just a hazy plume. It was a hazy white plume. And, yeah. and some of them would just describe it as like a, being like a cigar shaped plume as you know, coming out from the object, you know, 
And that, that's very, you know, uh, indicative of, of what would happen if, you know, that fuel would have ex- ex- escaped, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, talking, speaking of cigars, uh, Clinton was president at this time. I <laughs> oh, believe. my God. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just went there. He just went I, there. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. It was low-hanging fruit, people, right? You can't blame me. Can you? Yeah, you can. Whatever. No, I don't no, care. I appreciate you. <laughs> Isn't there also an extraterrestrial cigar-shaped object traveling through our solar system right now? Yes, and Clinton knows all and about Clinton it. Clinton knows all about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're probably thinking about a mua mua, which is yeah, uh, a topic for another time. Maybe that one that one requires some analysis. It's, which it's, well, I our, think it's out of our, our 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 solar system now. I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I left a while ago. Yeah. But it, well, it, I guess it, anybody not familiar with that, the the kind of the extraordinary thing about it, which is why people think it's interesting, is. Uh, when it looped around, it, it well, the, was supposed the shape, to the shape first and foremost, right? Well, yeah, the shape, yeah. But it was supposed to decelerate as it looped around the sun because I guess that's kind of how gravity works, you know, as it as it exits. But actually, accelerated as it was leaving, which not really supposed to happen, you know, if if our idea of physics is even remotely correct. But, uh, anyways. Getting back to Clinton. No, getting back to the case. <laughs> uh, hey, whichever comes first, man. Yeah. Where where were we here? I got, got a little distracted. I don't know. Um, you tell me, bro. Edit. Yeah, edit. Let's see. All right. Since we're uh, editing, I'm going to blow my nose. All right. We talked about that. We talked about the false positives. Oh, my. Are you sick? Oh, excuse me. He's got the COVID. I already told you. No, I had our, so, so ever since I've moved out here to Arizona, like uh certain times of the year. So like, like right now it's been like warming up a little bit, you know, it's yeah. not like, it's not hot yet, but like it's warming up. So like every time that happens for me, like there's certain plants that start like releasing pollen and stuff. And like, it just, it gives me like what? hay fever, you know, there's no plants in Arizona. Are you if kidding? you can't, Are you if you kidding can't me? not have allergies in Arizona, I don't know where Dude, you could maybe go. I to haven't had, I've never something. had allergies. I've never, until I moved here, <laughs> until I moved here, I swear to God, I've never had allergies. That's weird. That's really weird. <laughs> okay, here we go. There's a plant, some, there's a plant, some, there's something here that, that for whatever reason, uh-huh. it's, it's not that like, like serious. It's, it's very minor, but it just gives Is me it a, a cactus. It Is it me, a cactus? No, agent? it's not a cacti. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe so because I don't think that they release pollen from what I remember. I remember. But anyways, dude, we we had the Satan. We had the Satan of plants at UCR. There's these trees, and when they were in bloom, like in the spring, mm-hmm. they smelled like fucking jizz. Dude. They smell like sperm. There's yeah. sperm Ew, trees, like, like bleach. Oh. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was nasty. I don't like but, that's that's gross, dude. Yeah, yeah, they were they were white, right? Yeah, the the white flowering the white flowering <laughs> sperm trees. They, they look very pretty. <laughs> they look very pretty, but you could just see people why walking would, around. Why would that plant have a uh, you know developed that defense mechanism? I, I, don't, I don't know. Get it's it. probably why? probably just a coincidence. But you could <laughs> the the first day of spring, you could see students walking around with this look on their face, like what the like, fuck? They, like, they knew what they were smelling, but they had no idea yeah. why. Like maybe I should go home. Something, something very strange has happened on campus, and I don't want to be witness to it. Yeah. Uh, oh, good yeah. times. It does sound. Yeah. Like good, it sounds like good times. 
Oh yeah. Oh, it was a blast. I tell you what, <laughs> but all right. Anyways, back to the case. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So let's, we, there's a couple of parts of the radar data we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, so you can actually look up the radar data and it's kind of like just a mess of crap on the picture that triangles and squares and shit. I don't know what any of it means, but you could look on the radar data. There's a track of a Navy airplane. It's a P3 surveillance anti-submarine airplane. It's used to detect submarines, right? That was flying at about 20,000 feet and its path would have intersected the path of TWA 800 it, so it was about 8,000 feet above TWA 800, give or take. But it's just kind of weird that it was like right there in the area. The path would have intersected before it crashed. Like, and, what was it doing yeah. there? Well, and some, According, people, some people report, you know, that, you know, they see that that missile, whatever, was uh, yeah. launched from the, the sea. Some people say. Right. And the, the military says that they had nothing in the area. The closest exercises were like 160 miles away. And you're like... All nah, right. Yeah. No. We had. Hey. No. No. We had nothing. Navy. We had nothing yeah. in the area. I'm telling you. Hey. But there's they, nothing they, going. They did have stuff. Right. Later yeah. on, it came out that there were a bunch of ships in the area. In fact, yeah. uh, there was a. Yep. A newspaper journalist. Her name was Kelly O'Meara, and she was actually an as- administrative assistant to the representative who was closest to the crash site. So of course he's going to want to be involved because his constituents want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, three years after they started the investigation, it came out that there were all these unidentified crash crafts uh, 30 miles from the crash zone, right? Like right inside the military warning zone. So I just thought that was really interesting. And that didn't come out until a while uh, into the investigation. Yeah, and there's there's rumors. I guess when we talk about certain theories later on, I don't know, pretty soon here probably, but there's rumors that there were war games going on in the area. But uh, that's, well, maybe we'll talk about that later. I don't know. But anyway, so the, the radar has confirmed that there was that P3 surveillance thing there um, and the, the water targets, but also... There, uh, the radar data shows conclusively that there were debris flying away from the airplane, the TWA-800, at Mach 4. Now, the official oh, wow. explanation of the central fuel tank explosion would have been a subsonic low-energy explosion. It would not have, no debris would have reached anywhere near Mach 4. The only way to achieve Mach 4 debris would be with a high-energy explosion like that of a missile, and the radar data proves that this happened, that the debris was... Uh, it's radar data. It's actual data. It's really hard to refute it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a smoking gun right there. That de- that Mach 4 debris would not have been present uh, outside of some kind of missile strike. It it's pretty much makes it an open-shut case... Mm-hmm. Besides all the other many many things we've talked about, right? It's not just it's not just one thing for me that's a smoking gun. It's that I think mostly combined with the statements of the eyewitnesses, and then of course the quality of the people who are on the investigation who are questioning its outcome. Yep. That for me really make this not a conspiracy theory, but more of a cover up. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. One one other topic we haven't really talked about yet is the um uh you know warning for the faint of heart. We're going to talk a little bit about the bodies that they found. So the the chief medical examiner was interviewed and he was he said that they took a lot of metal out of the bodies. There was metal embedded in the bodies which 
kind of kind of weird for what the official explanation is. The medical examiner they took the pieces of metal out of the bodies and they made they they kept them all separate and they notated where they got the metal from, how deep it was in the body, what part of the body it was, and all that stuff. They sent all these samples to the FBI, and when the samples were sent back to the NTSB, they were all in like the same containers. They were no longer labeled and separated. And that makes the pieces of metal pretty much useless for anything as far as an investigation goes. Because if you had that data, you could say what direction they came from and the force behind them and whatever. Just the pieces of metal and the bodies alone would be highly useful for reaching conclusions as to how this happened. So that that's I think we've covered all the major topics. But there's actually one other thing I'd like to point out that's kind of maybe not obvious at first, but uh, if you're not aware of, most people probably don't know of what an airworthiness directive is. An airworthiness directive is something that the um, the FAA, has. it's like a law that they write, and they say that they're written in blood because they only make these things when people die because of an airplane malfunction. Airplane malfunctions, people die, and then they come out with what's called an airworthiness directive, which is like an immediate order to repair whatever systems are malfunctioning. So when something like a fuel tank explosion happens, often they will ground all of the airplanes that could potentially be affected, order an immediate emergency repair, which is the airworthiness directive, and they will repair this stuff right away. So with this case, what happened was they had a suggestion, not an airworthiness directive, but just a suggestion that, Maybe we should put inert gas in these the empty parts of the fuel tanks to prevent the vapor from exploding. And it took, guess how many years? 13 years for the first airplane to be fitted with this inert gas system. That is really unusual because if we are to believe the ex- official explanation that this was somehow a short, they would have acted on that right away. It would not have taken 13 years for them to do something about that. They would have made it happen immediately because they don't want these airplanes blown up. You know, it's it's very deadly if you have a malfunction like this. So that's just, it's not really a critical piece of information, but it sort of just demonstrates how the official explanation is pretty much complete bullshit, essentially. All right. So do we want to talk about like what we think uh any specific theories or ideas as as to what might have happened? Is I it, I'll go either? first. Yeah. yeah. Go so having looked at the evidence and done a little digging myself and watched the documentary twice now, um I really feel it was a friendly fire incident where a missile was accidentally set off and unfortunately the passenger suffered or died. Uh died. <laughs> By which yeah. I meant died, yeah. Yeah. Uh, ETA, would you go along with that, or do you have a, any different ideas? I, I would, um, in some way. I, I, they obviously they all died, unfortunately. You know, goddamn, that's a lot of people. You know, but like, uh, I think I, I also agree with that that theory that like they were targeting somebody, and, and maybe they hit the wrong plane. Maybe, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But like, you know, I, I think that because of the circumstances and. The the way that this plane met its, met its own demise, which which would appear to be a missile, you know, um, there was some kind of expediency in the situation. You know what I mean? Like whoever 
decided to launch this missile, which that that is my opinion, uh, my opinion, that this this plane was taken down by a missile. Um, whoever made that decision, what was uh, you know, worried about something, and they wanted to take care of something, you know, a problem that they had, you know, I don't know what that is, but that that's my opinion. I think that this thing, this this plane was taken down on purpose. Whether it be the right plane or the wrong plane, maybe I don't know. That's possible as the wrong plane, but I think it was taken taken down by a missile. Yeah, I think I think that's without a doubt that there's uh, there's two things I'm 100% sure of on this case. It was a missile and there was a cover-up. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that it was covered up. Now, why was it covered up and who shot the missile? That's where the questions are. Uh, there, The political times, uh, I guess you could say, I don't know how you'd say it, but there, the Olympics were coming up and an election, a presidential election was coming up. So even if it was like a terrorist attack, they might have still covered it up because it would have looked real bad for the elections and real bad internationally if this had happened so close to the Olympics and so close to the presidential election. So, or if it was Saudi Arabia, they would have just covered it up because of, you know, that's what they do, I suppose. But I mean, there's a couple of, a couple of reasons why they might have covered it up. But I agree. I think the most likely scenario is that it was some sort of mistake, some sort of missile launch gone wrong from a military exercise, I guess. And obviously, they have to cover that up. If they're in a position of government, that's just what they're going to do. Um, so I, I guess that's that's pretty much all, all my thoughts. And I agree with what you two guys said. Uh, anything else before we close up this one? Uh, no, I guess I, no. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I yeah. had a lot of fun. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you.